Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, friends. Thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled to be with you today. Um, we also hope you will join us tonight on virtually, uh, unless you're in Denver, which is in case it'll be in person with Rabbi David Kasher, who is speaking about Pharaoh Never Died and looking at his new book, uh, Parshanut. Uh, and also next week with Dina Aronoff on the maternal drive, the maternal drive. That's next Thursday. So many great learning opportunities, multiple times a week. Thank you for continuing to learn with us. We are thrilled today um, to look at this incredible topic. Get real. Can psychedelics be healing? Can psychedelics be healing? And as usual, we'll have a chance for a presentation and then a chance for a conversation as well. And we're fortunate to be here today with Rabbi Dr. Aaron Cherniak, who is a research and clinical psychologist completing his PhD at Stockholm University, as well as the director of J-Psych Lab of Judaism and Mental Health. He lives in the holy town of Beit Shemesh, the house of the sun. He studies spirituality, religion, and its link to lifespan development, relationships, and uh, mental health. His research examines beliefs, behaviors, and experiences related to spirituality and religion in an attachment theory framework which describes how internalized feelings of safety and security informative relationships guide social and emotional functioning. His dissertation research explores these patterns in individuals' subjective experiences with psychedelics and efforts to integrate those experiences into their personal identity and narrative. As a clinician, Rabbi Cherniak has treated individuals and families with a wide range of needs. He's lectured on spiritual religious issues in mental health and clinical practice to both professional and communal audiences. Through J-Psych, Rabbi Cherniak disseminates psychoeducational resources to the global Jewish community. He is a married father of two, a rabbi, an avid canoeist, um, and an unrepentant punster. Wow, that is a great grand slam to, to a bio. Get real, can psychedelics be healing? I'm sorry to share, we will not be sharing a sample of psychedelics during the session, uh, but we are excited to explore this issue with Rabbi Kurniak. Okay, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I want to emphasize that the doctorate, the doctor is still aspirational at this point, uh, completing the doctorate. Um, so let me just share my screen. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, that disappears. Okay. Everyone can see my screen or can... Uh, Alex, can you confirm? Looks good. Okay, so um, obviously this is a, uh, a loaded topic. If people have questions throughout, I encourage you to uh, to pop a question into the chat. Um, if it's uh, critical to answer at that point, I'll try to I'll try to answer those types of questions throughout the presentation, but. Uh, you know, I, we'll have some time for uh, questions and discussion at the end. Um, uh, but thank you very much for having me. It's really a privilege to be here. Um, one of the projects that I'm running is called the Jewish Psychedelic Narrative uh, Narratives Project, um, and uh, this this topic psychedelics it's getting a lot of attention now. 
um, sometimes the hype has outpaced nuanced, responsible uh, discourse. Um, and so my goal for this talk is not to give an exhaustive review of all of the science, history, philosophy uh, of psychedelics. Uh, I want to introduce you to the topic generally and raise some pressing issues uh, in the space and share with you my, uh, I guess, uh, current draft of, of how I think about these uh, issues in a thoughtful, uh, integrative approach. Um, this uh, article uh, that you can see, the title of the article that you can see, just to illustrate how uh, 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 the, how much attention this field is getting. So the International Journal of Psychology of Religion um, had a special issue uh, towards the end of last year uh, about psychedelics related articles. Our article was published, I believe, December 5th. And within two weeks, it was the most read article uh, that the journal had published all year, um, you know, including those articles that were published back in uh, January of 2022. Um, so, you know, uh, I think, you know, I I value the opportunity to be here to uh, sort of think um, thoughtfully about the issues raised in this field. Okay, I want to thank uh, people who, or organizations who have supported my work. Um, the Source Research Foundation gave me a grant for the research that I'm doing. Um, Templeton World Charity Foundation supports other aspects of my work, which I'd be happy to come back and discuss another time about uh, meditation and, and Shabbat observance and, and mental health. Um, and to Shefa, Shefa, founded by uh, Rev, Rev Kamenetz, uh, they've been crucial uh, partners in trying to think through the thorny issues that come at the intersection of, of uh, faith and psychedelics. And so before we begin, uh, especially since the session is being recorded, I want to make sure that I say off the top, please do not base any decision uh, about psychedelics on this talk alone. Um, there are risks involved. Uh, there's a lot that we still don't know. And, you know, these substances are illegal in many places. Um, they can cause powerful, uh, you know, non-ordinary experiences. Please uh, you know, if you're going to take further steps uh, in this field, speak with a medical professional uh, generally and specifically about your personal health history. Uh, there's a growing number uh, being trained with expertise in this area. And I'd advise you to speak with, a, you know, some sort of spiritual uh, mentor as well. Okay. And so um, just so we can get on the same page, what are we talking about when we're talking about psychedelics? Well, um, there's a, a list, you know, on, on the left is a sample list of example uh, uh, classic psychedelics. Um, but psychedelics are psychoactive substances associated with substantial alterations to perception, to cognition and emotion. And we're now in a period that has been dubbed the psychedelic renaissance, um, which is really just a uh, marketing tool for how people have been discussing the increased use in contemporary uh, you know, settings, retreats and festivals, uh, et cetera, as well as the increase in uh, uh, psychedelics um, in clinical uh, and other uh, research as well. Um, I'm not gonna spend time, unfortunately, on the neurobiological research, even though it's obviously uh, relevant. The focus of the presentation is mostly about the psychological experience related to 
uh, psychedelics and whether it can be part of authentic healing and spiritual pursuits. And so before I go more into depth about psychedelics, I want to tell you about how I came uh, to this field, because I think it's informative about um, the stance that I take. Um, I began my undergrad, I did my undergraduate uh, education at Yeshiva University. Uh, I was working in a lab there studying uh, spiritually informed positive psychology interventions uh, in the classroom and in counseling. Uh, my master's, I completed IDC Herzliya, uh, where I was a fellow in the research psychotherapy uh, clinic. Uh, there, my research dealt with psychopathology, uh, mental health, and processes of therapeutic change. Uh, this work had to grapple with the reality that sometimes clients actually regress in therapy, that they uh, you know, do not improve um, throughout treatment, and that they experience ups and downs. And so this work, uh, when I completed that work, I was inspired to return to my initial interest uh, of religion and spirituality and mental health, but with a richer theoretical framework for the, uh, you know, the ebbs and flows of spirituality as well as uh, adverse experiences. And so the, um, the doctorate that I'm doing now, and, and, uh, and I happen to be fortunate enough to, to be supervised by the one of the world experts in uh, attachment theory, Mauro Mikulinser. Uh, my doctorate uh, through Stockholm University in Sweden, uh, as well as in continued collaboration with uh, Mario Mikulinser in Israel. Um, I, I've so I've returned to spirituality and religion in a more sophisticated uh, way, not only to look at how people engage their spiritual side, but how the same concepts take on different meaning for different people. Uh, people conceive of the divine in different ways, often related in some way uh, to their religious beliefs, uh, as well as their personal, social, emotional worlds, uh, which I find fascinating. For example, the uh, you know when we think about the effect of prayer on mental health, uh, that is dependent upon how uh, the address of the prayer is perceived. You know, praying to a god experienced as punitive or vengeful is a vastly different excuse me, vastly different exercise than praying to a God perceived as compassionate and loving. And so these experiences are complex interactions of things that people say, uh, that people say they believe, and as well as uh, non-conscious attitudes. Um, and so it was really, it was within a year of beginning my doctorate, it was, psychedelics were not the original uh, topic of my doctorate, but thinking about, uh, you know, spirituality and um, experiences that are uh, challenging, but meaningful, desirable, undesirable, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, good and bad, uh, and how the whole range of human experience can be part of an ultimately uh, fulfilling spiritual life, uh, both in intense and everyday uh, contexts and through, you know, contemplative uh, pra practices, um, the, thinking about these sorts of ideas, uh, you know, psychedelics was a, was a sort of natural and exciting uh, pivot for me. Okay, so um, I began this talk with a uh, disclaimer, uh, you know, with bright uh, pink so that we wouldn't skip over it. Um, so why the disclaimer? I keep, you know, I keep reading nothing but uh, good news and reliable media sources about the therapeutic uh, potential of psychedelics. So this field is still developing and at times it still feels like the wild west 
uh, at times the voices that garner attention are not necessarily most authoritative or trustworthy, uh, but rather the loudest, earliest to speak, most charismatic, or those who stand to profit. Um, and I should note that personally, I have no conflict of interest. I'm, I'm not affiliated with any uh, business in this uh, industry. Um, but the chaos arises in sorting through the scientific research. And, you know, just because it's in a peer-reviewed scientific journal doesn't mean that it's free of fatal flaws, um, as well as the, you know, potentially fraught uh, cultural and religious discussions. Uh, and so, like I said, we're not going to, you know, uh, do a uh, exhaustive review of all of uh, psychedelic research and therapy uh, or of the relevant, of all of the relevant spiritual uh, issues, but I hope to be, I hope this talk can be somewhat informative um, as well as the beginning of some uh, continued thought-provoking conversations. Uh, and I'll say already at the risk of stealing my own thunder, by the end of this talk, I hope that I will have conveyed the basic thesis that psychedelics are powerful substances with uh, both potential and risk uh, in both medical treatment and spiritual development. Uh, and so while there's reason for great optimism for psychedelics, any discussion about uh, or use of psychedelics ought to be undertaken with responsibility and clear headedness, which has not always been the case. And so I wanna do a rapid review of some of the, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, um, both from a you know culturally Jewish uh, perspective and then in, in some of the scientific research as well. And so what does Judaism say about psychedelics? And here um, it's been particularly troubling to see people um, you know, make particular claims about what Judaism has to say about psychedelics. Um, just for example, um, uh, there's an article that described a particular rabbinical student talking about how, uh, you know, Jewish shamanism and how even the Talmudic rabbis recognized the, uh, you know, potential of uh, psychedelic mushrooms to be part of spiritual enlightenment. And uh, the student was basing her uh, assertion on a total misunderstanding of uh, the source that, you know, that they were quoting. Uh, they argued that, um, you know, mushrooms have a different blessing than any other vegetable. And so, you know, they have the more all-encompassing blessing rather than the blessing. Uh, and so, you know, that's the sort of allusion that the rabbis were making to the uh, you know, the, the significance of the mushroom beyond, I guess, uh, nutrition. And so, the, you know, the problem is that mushrooms are, are fungi. They're not vegetables. And so, of course, they wouldn't get the repriyadama uh, blessing. And, you know, they uh, further claimed that, you know, the, the linguistic root of mushrooms being patriot, you know, being uh, related to breaking free and and releasing you know releasing you from boundaries um i mean the academic uh, talmud uh talmudic papers that i looked up you know they discuss um you know mushrooms grow how do mushrooms grow they have they they release spores into their environment you know the spores break free and so there's nothing about the name uh patriot or about uh, the blessing that would allude to the rabbis having an affinity or even, you know, any uh, uh, tradition of using uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Um, this article had 
a lot of issues. Um, I, I, it was difficult to, uh, I wanted to choose one concise, one, one issue I could uh, pick up on concisely. Um, but uh, this article uh, claims to uh, review the evidence that the evidence for the use of psychedelics and theogens is, a, is another word for that uh, that's used for psychedelics. Um, it's a particularly loaded term that's used for psychedelics because in theogen, the meaning is, you know, um, a substance that allows you to encounter the divine. Um, and so, you know, that's already projecting a lot um, of assumptions onto what psychedelics are and how they work. Um, and so in this article, um, you know, just one, one of the claims is just clear that the author uh, doesn't understand the simple reading of the, of the Gemara that, you know, um, the, the, the reference that the, that the Gemara is making to Shittim is about the place, not about the particular plant that the author uh, claims that it is being referred to. Um, and uh, oh, I didn't bring a, a screen grab of, of this as well, but it's also been argued by particular people in this space that the etymology of the word uh, pineal gland, which is, you know, the pineal gland is one of the uh, brain structures that is most closely related to the neurobiological action of psychedelics. Uh, they argued that the name pineal gland is based upon, um, you know, Jacob's encounter with the divine in, uh, you know, in pineal. Um, the problem is that, you know, pineal means, uh, is it pine? I think pine cone uh, in, uh, in Latin or something. And it's named that because of its shape, not because, you know, Jacob had anything to do with, DM, you know, with any of these uh, psychoactive uh, substances. And so whether, you know, I'm not against claims that, uh, you know, Judaism has within it uh, a tradition of, uh, you know, of psychedelics, but it is an open and interesting question, um, you know, but it's it's shakier ground to say that it's it's part of our tradition to, to use psychedelics. Uh, you know, it's if people want to make spectacular claims, they should back it up with spectacular evidence that can stand up to basic uh, scrutiny. And so, you know, I've been thinking about why people are making arguments that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, with apologies, embarrassing on their face. Um, and so, you know, with the uh, discussions of, um, you know, policy changes, uh, people have been sort of uh, uh, trying to find, uh, you know, th 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 in the United States, at least there's an exemption from the law, uh, you know, uh, uh, banning psychedelics to use them for sincere religious use. And so typically, I mean, you know, in Arizona, you know what I'm talking about, that the you know, that the uh, indigenous churches there have an exemption for using uh, peyote, for example. So, um, you know, the question is, can something be sincere religious use of these psychedelics when there's no historical, you know, or, you know, traditional precedent within a particular faith? Um, you know, and so, and so um, I think that part of the problem is that people are, you know, seeking, I, I don't think that they're ill-intentioned, but people are, you know, seeing the changing reality about psychedelics uh, as an opportunity, um, you know, for spiritual innovation, which is great. We should always be looking for spiritual to, to innovate with our spiritual practices. 
uh, especially in a world that, uh, you know, especially after COVID, you know, is looking for new ways of creating community and, you know, changing sort of zeitgeist about what spirituality means, you know, at all. Um, but again, like I said, if we're going to make, uh, if, if we're going to argue that, um, you know, psychedelics, uh, that Judaism has a strong, you know, uh, uh, tradition of psychedelics, I think we would need uh, spectacular evidence to back up that claim. And if we're saying, you know, alternatively, we might not have a strong tradition, but we can create, um, you know, a uh, responsible spiritual uh, framework for using them, you know, within the uh, other principles that we know hold true in, in Jewish law, then, you know, there's what, there's a lot of what to talk about. And so before I move on to the science, I just want to you know, sum up. We have a rich history in Judaism about meditative practices and intense or uh, ecstatic experiences uh, and even altered states of consciousness or trance states. Uh, this includes using substance, certain substances as tools along the way, but we, what we don't have is a solid tradition of psychedelic use. Uh, making those claims may even verge on appropriation of traditions from other groups that do have such a heritage and a distortion of our own spiritual heritage. If anything, uh, you know, the, the groups that do have a strong uh, historic precedent of psychedelic use were perceived by our forefathers as, you know, uh, spiritually dangerous. And so I would argue that we should avoid making those claims. So in the absence of definitive evidence from Judaism, how should we view psychedelics within a Jewish lens? I was speaking with a major uh, rabbinic authority and medical ethicist in Israel recently. Um, uh, he asked that I not uh, uh, say who he is. But, um, but something that's not explicitly prohibited in the Bible should be evaluated based on um, pragmatic principles. You know, we have a verse, that you should guard your health and well-being. And so, you know, that uh, the prohibition of doing anything to harm one's health. And so, you know, before it was discovered that, uh, or before it was really known widely that, you know, uh, cigarettes were dangerous. So, you know, that wouldn't necessarily fall under the prohibition. But once we discovered that, you know, cigarettes were uh, were uh, very harmful. You know, there were people who uh, quit smoking uh, immediately upon discovering that because of this verse, and so, um, you know, however we um, approach any, you know, novel, uh, uh, excuse me, not novel, I shouldn't say novel, but however we, we approach any anything that's not explicitly, you know, mandated or prohibited in the in the Torah, we should turn to science and consider what research says about the relative uh, risks and benefits, as well as to our spiritual mentors for, you know, ways of um, constructing safe, supportive um, environments around those things. Uh, and so by the end of the talk, I hope to sketch out um, a basic principle for sincere religious use. Uh, again, I'm not uh, acting as, uh, I am a rabbi, but I'm not acting as someone coming to issue a blanket, you know, ruling our psychedelics, uh, you know, uh, permissible, uh, prohibited. Uh, but I, we can, you know, I want to sketch out a basic uh, thesis for using them uh, sincerely in spiritual uh, development without relying on fanciful claims 
of you know invented historical uh, precedent. And so let's turn to scientific research. You know, fact-based, uh, sober, nuanced claims. <laughs> um, you know, I, I hope this sarcasm was evident, but just in case it wasn't, um, psychedelics. Uh, my colleague Ballast um, tweeted, you know, the side-by-side -side, uh, Newsweek covers about Prozac and uh, psilocybin uh, mushroom, psychedelic mushrooms. You know. It, when Prozac was first introduced in the market, it was sort of you know, the miracle, uh, the miracle cure for depression. And a lot of the times, you know, that psychedelics are discussed in the media now, um, it it's really reminiscent of of those uh, headlines. Um, and even though, Pro, you know, so Prozac and 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 psychedelic mushrooms, you know, seem to perform well in randomized controlled trials, but you know, the real world effectiveness of these uh, substances really needs to be uh, uh, examined uh, carefully. Um, and we also need responsible language. Even if we have, uh, you know, clear cut data, you know, looking at the tweet on the left, this was a big uh, hullabaloo um, in the uh, neuroscientific uh, research into psychedelics uh, in that, uh, in those circles, because you know, claims that psilocybin, the the, the magic mushrooms, um, claims that psilocybin therapy liberates the entrenched depressed brain by increasing the global integration of functional networks. You know, what does it mean to have a even a depressed brain? Isn't really a, like can you point to a part of the brain that is uh, depressed? You know. I mean, to, to say the depressed brain and, and you know, what does it mean in, in, entrenched? You know, th these are terms that were sort of uh, loosely thrown around in the, uh, in the uh, you know, in the parts of the article that were not, um, you know, the, in the method section, that were not in the method section. You know, the entrenched brain is like a, um, uh, it's, it doesn't really, mean anything and and what does it mean to liberate it you know to liberate the brain so even if we can show that psychedelics can help treat depression we need to be responsible with how we're uh framing these things and so what does the evidence actually say um and parenthetically when we are thinking about you know does do psychedelics uh you know quote-unquote work this field is sort of uh, challenging us to reconceptualize um, how we at all define well-being and mental health and how to measure it. You know, um, one of the main applications of psychedelics so far is in um, is in uh, palliative care, you know, terminal uh, cancer. And so, you know, what does it mean to increase well-being or mental health, you know, in, in patients who are dying? Um, these are, you know, fascinating and very important questions. So what are the central findings? Um, well, psychedelics have a wide range of effects. Uh, some of the positive, you know, in these you should, uh, uh, positive in, in quotation marks. So, you know, positive, it can lift people's uh, mood. It can increase associative and creative thinking, um, increase, you know, it can enhance your sensory perception. Uh, it can facilitate profound, life-changing 
experiences. Okay, well, that's, you know, some positive ones neutral. Well, you know, it dilate, psychedelics dilate uh, people's pupils. Okay, well, that's not positive or negative. Um, it can um, slightly increase one's heart rate. Okay, well, you know, exercise or, you know, novel situations increase one's heart rate. An increase in yawning, you know, th these are things when we're talking about what do psychedelics do, we need to be, you know, um, deliberate and, and really talking about all of the effects of psychedelics. And so that includes the negative effects as well. Uh, anxiety, increased sweating, nausea, dizziness, um, megalomania, paranoia, unwanted and overwhelming feelings. And so, you know, any of these studies that show that psychedelics work, it's all within the context of the whole, the whole um, uh, gamut of, of effects. One of the uh, strongest um, findings that has come out is that the likelihood, excuse me, the likelihood of having a difficult experience with psychedelics is decreased um, if they're. Um, sorry, let me let me say that again. The strongest finding is uh, that, or one of the strongest findings in, uh, to come out of this research so far is the influence of the context within which one. Uh, takes the psychedelic. So uh, you see on the slide, it's a set and setting. Set is a short form that's used to describe the uh, personality, the intentions, the motivations, that uh, the, 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 uh, the expectations that a person has when taking a psychedelic. And setting refers to the, you know, the physical space, the social context, even the cultural milieu that the person or the group having the experience is in. And so the, the likelihood of having a challenging or difficult experience with psychedelics is decreased when um, the participant, when the, when the uh, person using a psychedelic is coached ahead of time, how to, what to expect, how to uh, regulate themselves, uh, you know, what to, how to sort of anchor themselves through the experience, and then has also follow-up sessions with what's called in the field integration. Um, and so, um, you know, I can't go into uh, a, a bunch of studies, but uh, there have been studies showing therapeutic potential for uh, a wide range of psychiatric disorders, including depression, addiction, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety about medical diagnoses, uh, PTSD, um, as well as anecdotal evidence uh, anecdotal evidence, these studies are not really, are not based on, you know, clinical studies, but rather uh, interview, interviewing people about their, uh, you know, past experiences. So that obviously there, there's a lot more, uh, you know, bias when, you know, looking back on one's experience, but there is anecdotal evidence that psychedelics could help people decrease their alcohol, alcohol consumption, quit smoking, um, uh, start healthier, start eating healthier, as well as um, um, there appears to be potential for, uh, did I mention addictions already, but eating disorders as well, and uh, what's called lifestyle uh, diseases. And, and one of the important findings there as well is that even when people have negative experiences with the substance, those things can be worked through uh, in the therapy. And so, you know, when we think about these effects, all of life 
you know, has forgetting psychedelics for a second, all of life has positive and neutral and negative experiences based on how we filter them through our own uh, background. And so the same way that in psychotherapy, generally, we would, you know, provide a supportive environment to explore all of that in order to construct some sort of meaning and narrative to um, give people more, you know, agency in their lives to make, you know, decisions that are aligned with their values. And so the same thing would be true with uh, frightening experiences with psychedelics as well. Um, most of these substances are non-addictive, except for ketamine. Ketamine does have some addictive uh, potential. Um, uh, but, um, you know, uh, that means, you know, there's also no way of like overdosing, um, you know, from uh, magic mushrooms, for example. You can, I mean, you can have really... Uh, intense, acute, uh, you know, experiences, but you're not, you know, a person isn't going to, uh, you know, uh, come to uh, die because, you know, they had too many mushrooms. Um, let me see. Okay, I don't see any questions, so I'm going to keep going. If anyone does have questions on what we've covered so far, uh, you know, pop them in the chat, and I'll see if they uh, need immediate attention or they can wait till the end. Uh, However, some limitations on the studies that have been reported, um, you know, these are small samples. Um, sometimes there are issues about the, uh, uh, how patients are prepared for the experience they're told to expect, you know, certain um, uh, uh, experiences or, you know, in trying to compare people who have, who, who are given a psychedelic to, uh, you know, to a placebo, the, excuse me, um, the, I mean, it, it, you know, it's to no fault of the studies, but it's challenging to think of, well, what is a placebo? You know, a placebo for Tylenol would be a sugar pill, but, you know, placebo for, you know, LSD is a lot harder to come by. And a lot of the, uh, the studies as well, as well rely on uh, self-report. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot we still have to uh, spell out. Um, in terms of um, the potential mechanisms, how do psychedelics, uh, how, you know, I've lost the, I've lost the sort of toolbar. Uh, there we go. Okay. The, um, when we're thinking about, well, you know, it's not enough to know that um, a treatment can have a change. We need to know how it affects that change. Um, to understand with, you know, wisdom how to implement that treatment. And so, you know, we don't just say, uh, oh, good, we, you know, how we uh, administered this treatment and we saw the people, you know, decreased on, you know, measure of uh, depression. Um, we, want to, we want to understand, well, what is the causal pathway? How did it, uh, you know, what explains that change? And so the research... Um, to date highlights the role of spiritual experiences that give people um, sort of lasting um, memories that they can hold on to and integrate into their lives. Um, often uh, that align or challenge their uh, religious, their pre-existing religious or spiritual uh, beliefs. Um, it, you know, can give new meaning to their past experiences as well as give, giving them um you know, highlighting values that they think are important for future experiences through 
uh, you know, and, and often the experience that people have on psychedelics has to do with feeling intense love and connectedness. And, and one of the particular mechanisms is that when people have this sort of mystical experience, they come away with the um, sense that they have been given, that they've downloaded new insights, um, psychedelic insights, that these substances have uh, have pulled back the veil of like, I mean, oh, sorry, um, that's for later, but they, th that psychedelic sort of, um, you know, in other words, if, if you're used to going through your everyday life with, you know, normal alertness, uh, you know, waking consciousness, and you've never experienced distance from your, you know, habitual thoughts, um, having some distance with psychedelics can be like a really uh, uh, potent uh, experience and so people when they have that um, they feel like they have an emotional breakthrough where they uh, have access to insights that they normally um, could not have uh, 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 arrived at um, and people make people report making dramatic uh, life decisions based on those insights I'm working right now with a colleague about uh, on a study uh, interviewing people who have uh, ended romantic relationships uh, in the wake of using psychedelics. So, you know, people who after using LSD, you know, uh, have sudden clarity about, uh, you know, things they perceive to be unhealthy patterns in their current relationships, you know, and within a week they break up with the person or they leave the person. So, you know, that could, could that be uh, uh, healthy? um potentially you know potentially it, it doesn't mean that they um anyway i'm going to get into this more in depth in future in in other uh slides and so how but my basic question is well if psychedelics work by occasioning spiritual experiences and through those experiences by providing people with these uh you know deep insights that they uh couldn't have thought of otherwise well how do we what do we know about insights generally right we shouldn't Psychedelic insights shouldn't be different than, you know, other types of uh, insights. And so people quote um, uh, William James, among other uh, philosophers, in a sort of rosy, shaded take on uh, uh, insights. William James actually reported his own experiences with mind-altering uh, drugs. Um, he said they are illuminations, revelations, full of significance and importance all inarticulate though they remain. And as a rule, they carry with them a curious sense of authority for after time. This particular quote, I don't believe is about uh, a mind, you know, an experience with a mind altering drug. I think it's uh, uh, about his, uh, you know, in the context of spiritual experiences generally, but, you know, um, there is something to be said about these, you know, lightning uh, strike uh, experiences of insight. However, um, you know, we return to this sort of fabulistic, not fabulous, you know, the, uh, uh, sensationalistic uh, language about liberating the mind, you know, lifting the veil of reality, um, you know, to, to reveal the truth behind the sort of uh, uh, world mask uh, that uh, we normally perceive in our waking consciousness, uh, or do they create the sensation of insight without necessarily providing worthwhile 
uh, content. Um, and so while psychedelic insights may be, they have the potential for being fertile soil for growth, they in the long run are unstable foundations to build, you know, uh, to build one's uh, path both for healing as well as uh, as well as uh, spiritual growth without proper guidance and without proper uh, integration. Um, I'm just reading the chat. I see the question. Um, um, okay, we're going to get to this as well. Oh, I see it's just to me, so nobody else sees the question. I'll bring up this. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce your name, Aglaya, but but thank you Aglaya. for that. Aglaya. Aglaya, thank you for that important question. I'm going to come back to that. I'm glad that you are thinking along those terms. Um, and so, you know, psychedelics can um, evoke illusory insights as well, where the feeling of deep insight that is mistakenly attributed to psychedelic experiences. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So what does the evidence about insights actually say? Obviously, science can't, you know, answer every type of question or some philosophical questions that can't be answered in empirical uh, experiments. But we can, uh, you know, examine the, uh, uh, but we can examine the experience of having an insight. So um, research on epiphanies shows that people experience aha moments, even when having quote unquote realizations that are objectively false. Um, I, I can't go into exactly the the study, the what they did in those studies, but uh, they, you know, sort of asked people about how confident they felt in their answers when they, um, you know, uh, with all sorts of questions and and they often, had a higher level of confidence when, uh, excuse me, they were often more incorrect when they reported greater feelings of insight. Um, and so this is dangerous because people use these feelings of insight for justifying, uh, you know, as justifications for altering their fundamental beliefs. People cite this abrupt feeling of truth, like the euphoria experienced when using psychedelics as evidence in supporting their insights. Um, which may feel more accurate or helpful than they are in reality. And so, you know, that's always the case, but even more so with psychedelics, when, um, you know, psychedelics uh, foster on a neurobiological level, uh, increased su suggestibility, meaning uh, that their people are susceptible or responsive to suggested thoughts and ideas or uh, behaviors. Um, uh and especially when we're talking about, you know, settings that uh, there's this whole series of stories from the, um, you know, cover story, uh, a power trip podcast about abuses in psychedelic uh, contexts. And so that's not even just the cases where a therapist you know, crossed the boundary and was unethical, uh, you know, physically uh, with a patient, but even when, you know, uh, beliefs uh, uh, or spiritual concepts are imposed upon uh, the therapeutic environment without the patient really understanding the, you know, the origin of those uh, concepts. Uh, and so that's why I want to highlight, you know, Shefa and Ligare, uh, faith-based organizations that were created recognizing the need for um, uh, psychedelic support based on, uh, you know, 
values and community and wisdom. Um, Ligares, I, I can't tell if it's big enough that people can read, but Ligares is a Christian organization, uh, and Shefa is, is uh, the Jewish organization as well. Um, and uh, I wish we had more time to go into this in more detail, but, um, you know, it, in uh, the experience of having insights and, and using psychedelics, you know, the conclusions that people make are uh, subject potentially to narcissistic uh, biases and interpretation. And there's a, there's a growing body of literature on uh, spiritual, uh, 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 excuse me, the people high in narcissism, narcissism in the first place are more drawn to use psychedelics, you know, out of this, you know, I'm going to be enlightened or, you know, I'm going to have, uh, uh, I'm going to have access to greater wisdom than people around me. Um, and that can jeopardize uh, any sort of spiritual pursuit. Or, uh, and, and I want to say generally in psychotherapy as, as well, that often, um, you know, if a, a, you know, a therapist meets one-on-one -on -one with a client, they don't hear, you know, uh, the differing stories from the person's uh, family members or coworkers or whatever, you know, if, if a therapist isn't careful, they can buy into the sort of um, egocentric, uh, uh, egocentrically told narrative that the patient is bringing without, you know, uh, challenging um, and, and trying to broaden their uh, perspective. And so, you know, um, these things can fool us into thinking that we're evolving and growing. All we're growing is our ego. Um, okay. And so back to William James, notwithstanding his praise of mystical insights, he remarked that even some of his own substance-induced insights, he said, uh, these insights to the sober reader seem meaningless drivel, but at the moment of transcribing were fused in the fire of infinite rationality. And so... Um, you know, we need to ask ourselves, let's try, um, we need to ask ourselves, well, okay, you know, of what importance is it that psychedelic insights or therapeutic insights, you know, forget uh, psychedelics for a second, you know, many therapists uh, eschew this concern, you know, well, what if the insight that the person has is actually false? Um you know, it, it has no basis in reality, but it helps the person cope. Um, so of what harm is a false belief that helps people uh, cope? And so, um, you know, true, durable well-being, mental health and, you know, spirituality as well, uh, often involve acknowledging unpleasant truths uh, and delaying immediate gratification for a higher value navigating dilemmas of interpersonal ethics, you know, things that are <laughs> things that are not as exotic uh, to talk about. You know, it's super um, it's super uh, uh, exotic to talk about, you know, meeting, you know, all types of supernatural entities when taking psychedelics, um, you know, or the meaningful experiences in life that people have. It's a lot less you know, uh, celebrated to talk about, well, in what values are you rooting these experiences? How are you concretizing those uh, ex experiences in ways that will uh, have durable value? Um, and so coming back to, where was the question? Um, 
Uh, oh, I should have mentioned that. Uh, I'll mention, uh, coming back to uh, Aglaya's uh, question, um, um, you know, one of the, um, th there's been some assumptions that, you know, especially because of the counter uh, cultural movements in the 60s that, you know, psychedelics in, in inherently, uh, you know, uh, uh, turn people towards, you know, certain, uh, you know, values that are perceived as, you know, liberal and left-wing and peace-loving and all that stuff. And it's important to recognize that psychedelics are substances that, um, that amplify, that highlight uh, perceived meaning in things without uh, necessarily, uh, there's no monopoly on any political agenda, uh, you know, and so, um, sorry, I have a, um, they can be amplifiers of any ideology under the sun, which is especially concerning given the rise of, you know, these conspir conspiracy movements that are um, interwoven with spiritual concepts, you know, um, what's called conspirituality uh, in, in academic circles. Um, Alex, is that uh, 10 minutes including the question, the Q&A period? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, well then, I want to wrap up. Um, um, oh, I'm, I'm basically getting there. So people need to evaluate these insights. They, they can't just take these insights as one may love, uh, excuse me, as, um, you know, that, that they're, that they're uh, uh, for sure, uh, reliable that people could, you know, Timothy Leary discussed um, that we're all stuck in this reality tunnel where we don't, you know, um, think about alternative possibilities. Well, you can get sucked down, you can get pulled out of one reality tunnel just to get sucked down another reality tunnel and be on a, you know, a dead end journey that doesn't lead you towards, uh, that might, you know, help you feel better, but not uh, necessarily towards any greater uh, functioning. We need to ask, are these insights helpful, wise, or true? And I think one framework, you know, within a Jewish, returning to a Jewish perspective, that could be helpful is that even divine revelation, the rabbis discuss as potentially, you know, that Torah can be either an elixir for life, uh, of life, or a deadly potion, depending on one's character, relationships, uh, or skillfulness. And so a possible path to healing with psychedelics is less defined by the specific revelatory content of the experience than it is about developing skills uh, for processing all types of experiences, psychedelic and non-psychedelic, um, and cultivating a community with a healthy bi-directional relationship with this inner work. Psychedelics can be a helpful tool and, and also a harmful impediment to uh, well-being, spirituality, uh, they can contribute to healing when they catalyze awe-inspiring experiences nurtured by more general reflective processes and personal development in a supportive, communal, relational framework. However, relying on psychedelics and specific revelations, uh, especially without probing their limitations, may be ill-advised or even uh, destructive. And so uh, with that, I want to thank you for your attention uh, and whatever time we have remaining to have to address uh, questions. I saw one question uh, raised. I should have mentioned this. I mean, maybe it's better that I didn't mention it this at the beginning. Oh, I can stop the share so we can all see each other again. 
Um, um, someone asks about if I've had my own personal experiences. Um, I haven't uh, with psychedelics. Um, I have been in a coma. Um, and so, you know, that was a sort of uh, interesting uh, experience to, to work through. Um, um, what did I want to say about I, part of the reason I haven't uh, used a psychedelic yet is because of this evidence-based concern for, well, what is the environment that people are using these substances in, um, you know, and wanting for myself and for other people to, um, to have uh, therapeutic contexts that are supportive, not just in terms of giving a glass of water and a blanket and nice music, um, but also um, uh, ontological frameworks that are in line with people's, you know, values and not just, you know, imposing uh, uh, unhelpful spiritual frameworks on, onto that. Um, Aglaya, I see you've uh, hand raised. Okay, I was just gonna say, if you want, I can ask my question, you know, out loud so that everyone will know what it was, so. Sure, oh yeah, sorry, you sent it to just me, go ahead. Yeah, I sent it to just you. Okay, so um, not to get into too many details about this, uh, but um, long story short, my concern was is that um, I've actually seen, I have esoteric neo-Nazis like right next door, like, I mean, not literally next door, but right down, yeah. And what bothers me is that um, people tend to think, you know, psychedelics, they think of magical experiences. And I'm in Louisiana, you do, you have to take magical stuff very seriously here, unfortunately. And so with the esoteric neo-Nazis and their ideas about um, like Jewish people have all these magical powers that just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little freaked out. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong, but it kind of just, the prospect of it kind of just, yeah. Well, I think I think that's exactly the point. Is that I'm, I was, you know, one of my uh, one of my uh, uh, collaborators in this space recently wrote a paper about the responsibility of uh, researchers and health practitioners in proactively and systematically bursting the psychedelic hype bubble. Um, you know, I think that um, people are are um, making alt. I mean, I've had colleagues from other faith traditions as well, you know, express um, uh, discomfort with ways that this field is being represented. Um, and so I'm open to people making suggestions, but, um, you know, cause, cause some faith traditions do have, you know, that history. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm, I am super uncomfortable with this sort of, um, I've seen even, uh, I know I'm being recorded and this is somewhat promote. I've seen people sort of post about Jewish, um, you know, uh, is it w Wicca? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so th I this have is just with the Kabbalah and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is just, this is just, you know, I mean, you know, patently incorrect takes on Kabbalah are not new. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, they, they predated this sort of psychedelic renaissance, you know, at, I put it in quotes because I think psychedelic renaissance is a poor uh, uh, term. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I see my, and I see my role, you know, both as a clinician and as a rabbi in um, sort of um, offering 
faith-based ways of understanding these experiences without claiming that they're giving us objective, you know, um, there's no reason to assume that um, when you, I mean, Michael Pollan, you know, a famous journalist who's written about psychedelics, you know, wrote about his experience uh, going to the bathroom on a psychedelic trip and observing the urine in rainbow color. And so like, you know, that's just something that comes to mind as something that has like no relevance to, I don't know why that's specific, but, but in other words, like people who have actual um, certification, you know, not just in psychedelics, um, you know, I've had people contact me um, from with all types of like weird adopted uh, names, you know, uh, asking me to lend my uh, hard-earned credentials as a rabbi and clinical psychologist to their uh, agenda. And I mean, that's sort of how I view my ethical responsibility in this space. Uh, I see there's more in the chat. Um, as described, psychedelics are like sex, Judy says, in context and with healthy intent. It's holy. If out of context or in the context of abuse, outside of seeking Kiddusha, it can be considered masturbatory. Oh, actually, masturbatory. I had this in my notes, but I, I felt like I was already being too prerogative. But I had in my notes um, onanistic spirituality, you know, sort of self-pleasuring, self you know, um, creating experiences that feel good. Uh, but have no sort of lasting, uh, you know, they don't germinate, you know, or they don't uh, fertilize, you know, any long lasting um, positive impact for humanity. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so that's why set and setting, you know, in a secular medical context, set and setting is the um, guiding principle of how these clinical interventions are designed. And I think, you know, this is, after all, a, uh, a shul community, a Beit Midrash community. And so set and setting can also be relevant factors for all of our spiritual uh, practices. You know, sex, eating, uh, you know, when we when we have, uh, when we say cheers, we say l'chaim, you know, we don't just drink, you know, elevate the, I mean, alcohol is a whole other topic. One of the papers comparing the effects of all types of substances found that, um, mushrooms were the least uh, harmful and that alcohol and cocaine were the most, you know, bo both in terms of their physiological effects as well as their social uh, toll um, and economic toll as well. Um, anyway, I'm going on for a little tangent, but uh, the, the point is that we can use the term set and setting, you know, setting intention, setting kavana, setting, um, you know, avira, like an atmosphere of intentionality. What about all rabbis and spiritual leaders that have had profound experience, experiences on psychedelics? Uh, good question. So, I mean, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think, um, and, and so, you know, cannabis, and, you know, cannabis is a whole other topic because they're, personally, I am more skeptical about the actual therapeutic value, but, you know, I don't think psychedelics, um, I'm on the record now. So every case should be, every person who wants to try these substances in a place where it's legal should consult their own, you know, spiritual uh, uh, mentor for, you know, uh, uh, individualistic uh, guidance. But 
you know, generally I think it's hard to say that psychedelics should be blanketly prohibited. And so what about spiritual leaders who have had profound experiences? I think that a helpful framework for those profound experiences on psychedelics is the way that the Talmud talks about dream interpretation. Um, you know, when people have dreams, they wake up and they have a profound experiences, experience of insight. Well, they know that a dream is, you know, uh, partially based in things that they, that are, they're part of their objective reality or not object, their waking consciousness and, and, you know, partially based on, you know, uh, total fantasy that's, that's made up. And so they try to, you know, the rabbis say everything in a dream goes after the uh, uh, interpretation, right? And so the, because the rabbis recognize the, um, you know, that, that, that a dream doesn't necessarily um, lead a person to a specific fate. It's not necessarily uh, prophecy, but it's, um, you know, it's, um, psychologically, a person can use a non-ordinary experience, whether it's a dream or a psychedelic, um, excuse me, um, um, as as Homer, um, as uh, material, as fodder, right? Um, that that can be helpful, but not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I have a patient in the clinic where I work. Uh, I work in um, in a, in a Beit Shemesh uh, community clinic uh, affiliated with the Jerusalem Mental Health Center, Kfar Shaul Eitanim. And I, I, I see a couple where, uh, you know, one of the partners awoke suddenly in the middle of the night, having dreamed that their spouse cheated on them. And they woke up and, you know, before they, you know, got their wits about them, started yelling, you know, woke up and started yelling at their spouse. Like, how could you do such a thing? You know, what was it? A dream and has no basis in reality, but you know it speaks to perhaps their um, anxiety that something could, you know, like something that could happen. And so they're, you know, to that to the extent that dreams and all types of experiences are worthwhile to work through, they can be um, uh, trail markers, miles, you know, milestones along the way, uh, you know, breadcrumbs along the way that we can refer to, but. Um, I had this written up well in my notes, but that we can sort of flexibly hold on to these insights and experiences without um, totally buying into them uh, as if we should, uh, as if they should override things that we know based on our um, uh, rational faculties. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Maimonides speaks at length about the, you know, when the Torah talks about a false messiah. So, you know, according to Maimonides, the, the Torah says that even if a messiah, even if someone comes and says, I'm the messiah, they they make accurate predictions and they perform miracles that are not, you know, invalidated as a sleight of hand, right? Even if someone's able to, to produce a miracle, um, if they say, if they teach a message that undermines, um, you know, divine revelation at Sinai, they are not to be believed, uh, you know. So I think that that that's a general. Uh, I think that's a good guiding principle in in this space.
Rabbi Cherniak, thank you so much for joining us today and for this very interesting uh, presentation. And uh, and thank you all for, for tuning in as well. As, uh, as Rabbi Shmuley mentioned at the beginning, we've got some great stuff coming up later this week and next week as well. So we hope that you all can join for those as well. And thanks again to all of you for, for being here today and hope you have a great your day. Thank you so much for having me and thank you all for coming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember, that you can join our email list at valleybaitmadrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybaitmadrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.